Welcome back to another episode of Contextualize. I am AJ and Jim is with me. Jim, how are you doing today? Good. What are we, three weeks straight now? I think so. We. This is otherwise known as a rhythm. <laughs> Rhythms are important well, in life. Well, you know, if we do it seven times, they say that that's a habit. So we've made yes. it to rhythm, hopefully soon, to pattern. Yes, that's fantastic. Um, well, and I'll, I'll just say, I think part of, at least for me, it's... Uh, well, part of it's that we're out of summer, and then part of it, we've had several folks just give us comments, which has been encouraging. I think we see the importance and it's, of it. It's like, okay, yeah, we, we need to make sure we find a spot for that this week. So, so here we are. It's fantastic. Yeah. And, um, hey, I wanted to, let's let's start, let's go ahead and jump into this. Um, we're going to look at 2 Samuel 4 in a minute, but. Like, is that like a cultural reference? What? It's been a minute. <laughs> Um, For a while there was it's, hot minute, it's, but it's, don't say hot minute anymore. That's right. outdated. Well, and then there was hot take. Yeah, I don't know. Go ahead, carry on. I don't In know. a minute, we're yeah. gonna... <laughs> So here we go. I don't know. I'm I'm so confused at what to say now. <laughs> Just bring up theology. <laughs> so uh, we want to take today, and then the next couple weeks, um, maybe maybe five of them. We'll see, and just really talk about. In, in the opening segment, for just a couple minutes each time, what is the intersection of theology with our reading of God's Word? Or what is the intersection of theology with our, our study of God's Word, with, with hearing God's Word when it's preached? Or, you know, all those kind of things. And so um, but we'll, we'll kind of get into some aspects of theology in weeks to come. But today, we just want to start with, with just kind of in, introducing that. So let me just And this you, is really, just so everybody yeah. hears, we'll still keep going through Second Samuel. Yeah. We're just going to start our podcast and do a little bit of a snippet right. about something. Yeah, just like five be, minutes, yeah. something like that. So, what is theology? Doctrine. Yeah. And uh, obviously we have the name of God in Latin. That would be the beginning. Yeah. Ology is study of. Yeah. So you have the study of God. Yeah. Uh, but you also then are going to have other avenues and ecclesiology and study of the church. Yeah. Thing, I could name other examples, but so it's, it's what are the doctrines about God yep. that are revealed in the scriptures. And typically when we talk theology, most things are going to be systematized yep. to say, okay, categorically, what are some things we learn about who God is or how salvation works uh-huh. as opposed to when it comes to us in a narrative or in a letter, we look into that very differently uh-huh. in this podcast. We've done it that yep. way. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you said Latin. I don't know what the Latin is, but it's at least Greek. Maybe it's, it's Greek. the same Maybe in Latin and Greek. I don't, I don't know the Latin, but but right. see, you didn't tell me you were going to ask these questions. I know, so I, but we don't prepare, so I haven't done research. <laughs> I didn't tell you before. So yeah, like theos or, or theos. Yeah, um, you're in seminary, man. What is theology? <laughs> see, I'm, I'm, but that's this is the fun of asking the questions, and then logos, which you know probably this some word. folks are, are familiar with, right? You know, the logos, Jesus. Uh, but yeah, word. So word about God. Um, and so we can see that like biology, right? All the things we study. Um, and so, yeah, um, I did write down what some others have said, but I, I wanted to throw that out to you just to get your, your fresh take or hot take if we're going to go with old cultural references. Um, so one, uh, professor at RTS Orlando, Scott Swain, he says it's a word from God about God that directs us to God. Wow. So that's kind of helpful and, and memorable word from God about God that directs us to God. And then uh, just one more here, John Frame, he says, it's the application of God's word by persons to all areas of human life. There you go. And so 
theology in a more restricted sense is about God, but then in a broader sense, it's about everything. Like there's nothing that's not included. Yeah. Right. And that's what you were starting to get into there. So, um, go ahead. Semantically, we'll sometimes say what's needed right now is a theology of sin. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. And what do we mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or a theology of creation and God's design before the fall. So I think it's used probably oftentimes incorrectly, the word theology to describe something. Yeah. But I think the way Frame is just saying is is functionally theology is words from God about God and about all things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the, I mean, the helpful thing is that, it, I guess in thinking about this, is theology, it, it includes knowledge, but it's not this bare knowledge, right? It's It's knowledge that bears on our lives and i didn't mean that pun when i started well, that but, all things associated with life right. and doctrine like if we know something about god but we don't live according to it then our theology is lacking right. about about that um and so well, let me just ask you this and we'll and then I'll, I'll give one more word and we'll jump in um so as we think about okay theology is is from god about god it's knowledge of god it's application of life how does that in a general way relate to our study and reading of god's word I mean, I think the first answer that has to be given is both theology and contextual scripture study uh-huh. are equally founded upon the authority, inerrancy, inspiration of God's of God's right. word. Yeah, that's a baseline. Even you have to say a theology of word, right? A theology yeah. of scripture. Yeah, I mean, that is part of which starts to be circuitous. But the the point is, is there is a foundation that both must rest on. So there's yeah. a connection there. Yeah, I think the other thing. We often do this in our preaching workshops as we talk about how important it is to have a framework of how we study God's Word, uh-huh. yeah. a theological yeah. framework, for example. Right. But it's also very important when we study God's Word not to try to preach a framework. I should preach the text. My yeah. framework should come out of the text, yeah. and my framework's going to guide what I see in the text. But studying a text is not just looking for the next package place where my framework is going to show up. <laughs> right. yeah. And I yeah. think that's very, it's it's very important. Yeah, it's that, hard. No, yeah. that's that's great. And uh, so over the next couple of weeks, um, that's the kind of stuff we're going to more unpack and and beginning to get into what are the different aspects of theology. And so just to forecast that, we'll talk about exegetical theology, systematic theology, biblical theology, and historical theology. Um, and if those words don't mean anything, don't worry about it because that's where we're going. Um, but we're going to talk about how these things are different aspects. They're not cordoned off silos that don't touch each other. Um, they're just aspects, different angles of how we think about theology. Um, so we're going to get into that. Um, and, and let me just, I'll, I'll close with this. We'll get into 2 Samuel. Is if, if theology is our knowledge of God, uh, we could go, you know, shorter catechism one, right? Chief end of man is to glorify and enjoy God forever. You could say the chief end of man is theology in that sense. To, to In theology there would be to glorify, to know, to enjoy God. And so, as we do this podcast right now, why are we doing it? That's right. To glorify and enjoy So theology together. holds so. textual study accountable. Yeah. And textual study holds theological frameworks and theological categories accountable. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, a circle where they, yeah. or a cycle, right? They, they yeah. inform each other. Yep. It's good. And I would hope through our podcast over the many past months and future months, there'll be times when hearers realize that we stop, we pause, we start to talk about an aspect in the text yeah. and we've gone into the realm of theology right. that we launched into from something from the in text. the text that yeah. has a context that must be understood for the original hearer, but theological discernment is a part of understanding a passage. Yeah, yeah. that's great. 
All right, so Second Samuel four. Okay, so last well, <laughs> Abner, do, we, do you want to tell people what you did this week with me? Yeah, yeah, this is funny. So uh, as we are trying to be more regular on this yeah. podcast, I think we do have more listeners, which yeah. is fine. You know, it's gone from a little bit to a little <laughs> bit more than a little bit. Uh, I was running yesterday or sometime this week, yeah. and. I get a text from somebody that I know, and it says, poor Abner. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I don't understand what they're saying. And no context, just poor Abner. And I thought, gosh, is that like a saying? Like, <laughs> I bet somebody saw me running, and I look like a poor wretch running down Run Street dying. I was probably going up a hill or something like that and yeah. just sucking wind. Yeah. And someone said, well, poor Abner. <laughs> so I go back to my office, and I Google meaning Poor Abner. And I think there's a band or something called Poor Old Abner or something like that. Anyway, uh, but I didn't get anywhere. And finally, I just essentially waited and received another text from that individual saying, I stumbled on your podcast and I'm listening. And in chapter three of 2 Samuel, poor Abner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he has, he made a shift. He made a turn. And then he loses his life. And And it is a scene of injustice. and yeah. David is going to be the one who uh, essentially honors Abner yep. and right. brings justice down on Joab yep. and kills Abner. But it is a real sad scene. Yep. There's been a couple sad chapters in a row here and yeah. scenes in them. Yeah. And so, okay, so chapter four, or this is a, a super short chapter compared to what we've seen. And um, the, just the first verse, when Ishbosheth, Saul's son, so remember he is the other, he's Saul's son, and he's been set up as king in, in a small way, right? While David was set up as set king. Set up by in Abner, Judah, and by Abner. Abner does a shift over to David right. before he dies. Yep. But Abner's the one who set up Ishbosheth. Yep. And so now he hears that Abner dies, and it says, Ishbosheth's courage failed, and all Israel was dismayed. So David's weeping over this. Ishbosheth, his courage fails. His, his right hand man, his commander, he, he loses him. And so, just in the opening parts, we, we get just a little bit of biography uh, or kind of uh, narrative narrator information. Uh, we hear about Saul's son having uh, the, these captains of raiding bands. Uh, we, we hear a little bit about them, but then we also hear, it, it, it kind of goes back, and we hear about Jonathan having a son who was crippled on his feet, and this is Mephibosheth. So his name sounds similar to Ishbosheth, but Mephibosheth. Um, and when he, w- he was, as a young child, he was being carried out um, so that his life would be protected. Because a lot of times when king dies, yep. everybody wants to kill all the other people. So he's being taken away and the nurse falls um, and he becomes lame. And so Mephibosheth grows up as a, a lame uh, child of Jonathan who had died as well. It is weird just to think that verses 1 to 4 are sort of a sudden biographical sketch of yep. some important details, yep. some of which will become more important later. Later, And by the way, one of the things to, we don't talk about this much, but I think sometimes the headings in my English Bible yeah. can actually unhelpfully yeah. frame how I read something. <laughs> so like in yeah. chapter one, I mean, verse right above verse one in chapter four, yeah. we read, in my Bible says, Ishbosheth murdered. Yep, right. And so then I start reading verse one. I'm like, wow, how's this going to happen? Yeah. Right. And actually, for four verses, yeah, there's really not it anything about that. that, and it doesn't have anything to do with that. And so I need to be careful not to be distracted by, yeah, or lump certain sections yeah. together when 
it may just be the narrator's, narrator's prerogative and desire to put some yeah. information there we're going to need later. Right. And I think that's what happens with Mephibosheth yep. here. Right. Anyway, carry on. I just found that to be... Yeah, no, that's that's great. And so then we get to verse 5, and it comes back to those two captains of the raiding bands. Um, and their names are Rechab and Ba'ana. And they go, and they come into the house of Ishbosheth while he is taking his noonday rest. They stab him in the stomach, and then they behead him. It's gross. Yeah. Graphic. And our office knows that I'm dealing with graphic problems at home because I it's like the raccoons are destroying <laughs> our chickens. I'm we're trying and I'm I'm looking for solutions, but yep. my children are used to seeing more blood than they normally have seen. Yeah. And as I read the Old Testament, because of those tiny little micro scenes in my own house in the backyard, which are not that big of a deal. Yeah. There's a lot of just horrific things yep. that we have seen so far. Yep. The detail. Absolutely. The murder, the grossness, and this is part of... Yeah, it's not It's not veiled at all. No, no. Um, and, and one thing we can do here is we can remember back in chapter 2, uh, we learned that Ishbosheth reigned for two years. And so between chapter 2 and chapter 4, it's just two years. Yep. Um, two years has passed. Um, but then, um, so these guys, and, and up to this point, and I, as I was reading this before we got on here, um, it's kind of like, man, why do these guys do this? Like, what, what is their motive in killing yeah. their king? And we read that they took his head, so they beheaded him, and then they took his head, and they went by the way of the Arabah all night. That's verse 7. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron. So just to understand, for people just listening in their car and like this is a lot of detail these two raiders have been loyal to Saul yeah and they kill Saul's son yeah and what you're saying is why there's no right. detail as to why right and they, they could have killed him and then set themselves up as king there's right right you know that, but, that's a lot of times what would happen but, but after the act we yeah. begin to see enough into this to say oh I wonder if yeah. we've seen this happen before yeah Someone yeah. thinks they're doing something to win the affection or the protection of David. Yeah. And it will backfire as it has before. Yeah. And, that, and that's exactly where we go, right? They, you know, well, before we get to David's response. So they say, here's his head, uh, the son of Saul, your enemy who sought your life. And then they say, the Lord, Yahweh, has avenged my Lord, the king, this day on Saul and on his offspring. And so they're attributing this to the working of the Lord. Um, and David responds and says, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity. And then, and then he, he goes back to chapter one. He says, when when this Amalekite came to me and said, Saul is dead and, and I did it, he was killed because he laid his hands on the, the anointing of the Lord. And he said, he Who? says, that's the reward I gave him for his news. <laughs> yeah. And like, what are you thinking that you're, that you're bringing me this news and it's going to go any different for you? And we as the readers, and we know this, like that's the story we're, we're reading. So David would never throughout the latter half of 1 Samuel, when he was being hunted by Saul, he would never set his hand against the Lord's anointed. Uh-huh. He would never take Saul's life into his own hands. Now we see others have taken Saul's life, or now the life of his own sons, into their own hands. And David is as incensed yeah. and has the same righteous conviction yeah. That the Lord alone is to deal with Saul's house. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just in the consistency, I guess, is what right. I'm, I'm observing. Okay. So let me, if we think about what's happened in the story, you, you mentioned it's that we've had a lot of bloodshed um, 
Uh, I forget what word you used, but um, gross, gross. Yeah, there's something <laughs> well, whatever it was. Um, so in the last chapter, we read about what well, if we just finish this right? David uh, verse twelve commanded his young men. They killed them. They cut off their hands, their feet. They hang them beside the pool. So it's a a shameful death, a, a shameful execution, public execution that they receive because of this. So, but if we backtrack to chapter three, Joab avenges his brother's death by killing Abner. Now here, David kills these guys who killed Ishbosheth. But reading it from the narrator and from David's perspective, it was wrong for Joab to do that. But this seems, I mean, obviously David thinks what he's doing is right here. You feel what I'm getting into here? Yeah, like, so Joab did not do what he did in execution of righteousness. He yeah. did so out of revenge. Um, these men did not do what they did uh, righteously. righteously. Yeah. But David has been given a role as the anointed to execute God's justice. Yeah. I also read yeah, a text like this. Good. I'm like, no wonder Christianity and our leaning on the scripture's authority will not win any popularity battles in this culture. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. you, you actually functionally have lex talionis, an eye for an eye. You yeah. have you yeah. have the law of God and his perfect righteousness. You know, I mean, is it Genesis 49 or Genesis 50? The scepter shall not depart from 49, Judah. Yeah. But the, the scepter of God's authority has been given to God's king. Yeah. And God's king is to execute God's justice right. on behalf of God. Yeah. And so you do see, time and again already, as one shed blood, their blood is then shed. Yeah. And you see David executing authority righteously. Yeah. And it's, you know, from one perspective, right, again, if we just think of, okay, what's happened in the story where you've got David finally getting anointed publicly as king in Judah, but then you have this opposing or uh, this other king and David's in conflict with him. Like, that's what's happened. Now this other king is is dead. Yeah. And in, in many stories, like, you might think, it's time to celebrate because your enemy's been taken away, and, like, now you can have full reign. David keeps kind of surprising thing. But, but David doesn't yeah. act that way. And I think the, the word you kept saying there was righteousness. Like, that's I think that's the key word for us to think through. So can I go back to the first five minutes uh-huh. on yeah. theology? Yeah, that's great. What we've just done is basically said through this scene, we have to have a theology of God's righteousness. Uh-huh. Or we have to have a theology of how the righteousness of God is executed by his, his king, king. Yeah. in his kingdom on earth. Yeah. So that if we were to take a lot of time, write a paper on it, do whatever, we, right. have, we would now be in the realm of theology right. discussing the justice of God. And the differences between a king executing the authority God's given him and someone doing so in a wayward, unrighteous yeah. way. Yeah. Even though to the perpetrator, they may have thought, I'm doing this justly right. for a good reason. Right. What's the difference here? So we have to go into the realm of theology yep. to discuss that. Yeah. And, and even, and we can't, the realm of theology doesn't exist apart from us going there from places like this text. Right. Right. Like this text, it helps us understand righteousness. It doesn't just exist in a vacuum, but it, it's informed by right. all these and, different and texts. We would use the Bible to justify that God alone is righteous. Yeah. But in some regards, there's a lot of presumption here to say there is righteousness and there is wickedness. Yeah. How does righteousness and wickedness, a theological grid of that, help us understand what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. But we still are presuming upon the fact that we know God is righteous and he's right. established David to be over right. his people on his right. own. So, yeah. Anyway, I want to link that to That's what good. we asked early on. That's great. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the... Uh, with Joab, his his vengeance on Abner was so personally vengeful. 
right? It's personal vengeance about that. And his brother was killed in battle. So it's not, right? Like, that's not a uh, dishonorable thing to kill the other opponent in battle. But, but here, right, these men killed the king just in cold blood execution, sneaking in there and doing it. So David brings justice to that. The other thing that sticks out to me here, and I'll just, I'll, I'll mention it and see what you want to say about it, is verse 9. It says that the first thing David responds to these guys with, he says, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity. So what do we see in here about David or about the Lord? Yeah, I mean, the Lord is David's redeemer, and David is dependent on the Lord as his redeemer. And these scenes that we keep getting a little bit surprised about, I think, especially as David's response being one of grieving, is David is sitting in a posture of total dependence on God to be his rescuer. Uh This is but another scene in my life wherein I need adversity to be resolved by my God. Yeah. Now, he's willing to be one who fulfills the role in executing that justice, but yeah. David also is not doing so with hubris and pride. Yeah. He's yeah. totally dependent on God's mercy to him yeah. to give him wisdom in these decisions. Yeah. In these moments. Yeah. Do you think, and to, to maybe translate it into modern language, so to speak, it's almost... I was trying to do that, but... Well, maybe more... <laughs> To more so, another, you know, he's almost like he's to saying... To translate you, uh, Jim, for our <laughs> listeners. But like he's looking at him saying, like, do you think the Lord needed you to do this? Yeah, I think so. Like, like I don't think the Lord needed you to do this. Yeah. And you took murder. You took the right to life and death, the justice of that, into your own hands. I totally agree on the Lord doesn't need you to do that, but also the Lord authorizes it seems that David just has this deep conviction. We've seen a lot of unauthorized actions so far right. in these brief four chapters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even, the, even those theological concepts for us is, what am I authorized to do? Yeah. What am I not authorized to do? What am I dependent on God to do? And do I look at all the adverse adversarial or just adversities I face? Some are going to be against me. Some are just going to be complicated. With a grid that says, essentially, the Lord doesn't need you or me to do certain things unless we're authorized to do that. Mm-hmm. That's good. And I don't know how it's going to be resolved unless I act, but I don't know if I'm authorized to act. So therefore, I'll trust in the Lord who's always delivered me out of every adversity. And yeah. so I think we have just a beautiful yeah. faith of the king here yeah. in that verse 9. Yeah. And again, these kinds of descriptors of who David is does, to me, help us go to the gospel of Jesus. Just yeah. to see Christ who said, not my will, but your will be done. Yeah. Um, you can take this cup from me if you want. Yeah. Uh, you've always been there for me in all my adver- yeah. adver- adversities, which is why the cross is so powerful, because he says, why are you forsaking me now? Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, but that that's what I think we should do when we read, but in our own application, too, to think through how differently God authorized David than Abner or whoever, mm-hmm. right. how different God has authorized Christ yeah. from anyone in this church. Yeah. And how that fits together. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's that's very helpful to think through. Yeah, that idea of authorization. I mean, it's it's God is the authority, and we are to do what He tells us to do. But if He's not called us to that thing, right? And He didn't call these guys to go slay right. Ishbosheth. I mean, what a what a theological concept is redemption. Right, that you have mm-hmm. redeemed my life. I think of how many times in the Psalms David said, "You've redeemed my life from the pit." Uh-huh. 
Uh, I mean, of course, I think of Job also saying, I know my Redeemer Redeemer. lives. But you're going to have all throughout the scriptures this, my God is a Redeemer. And now David is invoking that right now. But he's doing so as part of his execution of justice. Yeah, yeah, right. He's spiritually confident in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Which is beautiful. Yeah, and then... uh, Who's going to die in the next chapter? (laughs) Well, let's say narrative-wise, the last verse, in English at least, of this uh, chapter is they take the head of Ishbosheth and they bury it in the tomb of Abner. And so Abner and Ishbosheth are buried in Hebron together. And so, and, and just, you know, thinking of, what, two chapters ago, um, yeah, chapter two, what we read about Ishbosheth and Abner, kind of the the king and the, the head commander who sets, like, you know, they're, they're there, but now they're both... Yeah. yeah, and I don't think we should do too much presumption for for the sake of presumption, but it, that last verse, you almost think that one of the things David, in his justice in chapter 3, when he gets rid of Joab because of Joab's murder of Abner, there's a loyalty that Abner had displayed towards Saul, mm-hmm. which would be David's interpretation would be that means he's loyal to the king yeah. that God has yeah. kept on the throne for yeah. now. And then you have Abner set up Ishbosheth with, yeah. I, you know, the first read is like he shouldn't do that because David's going to be the king now. But in, you know, in Benjamin and uh-huh. was Abner just doing that which you would expect the commander of Saul to do? Yeah, because the sons were still alive. Yeah, but there's something about how David honors Abner for his loyalty, especially as his loyalty shifts. And now you almost have David grieving over and honoring Ishbosheth for, yeah, the loyalty that he had toward Abner. Right. Yeah. It's a very yeah, and I, I guess what I'm seeing, just to maybe summarize, is David is not a king who is delighting and rejoicing in the death of his enemies. No. And, and like, not enemies outside of God's people, right? There, there's going to be difference when he goes and fights those who sought the Philistines. But, like, right, those within the body, even though they're opposed to him on some level, like, he's not rejoicing. Yeah. Um, with Saul, with Abner, with, with Ishbosheth. So, he's mourning. Yeah, that's a fascinating. And if the. Maybe a last comment from me is, as I think about application, David says, I know that my Redeemer has always redeemed me out of every situation of adversity. Uh-huh. In Old Testament narrative, we do see these the scene by scene, it seems like the crisis comes to the surface and the next crisis. And, and that was the way it was in First Samuel as well. Mm-hmm. And I do think of the importance of that in our own life, of just moment after moment, season after season, there are adversities we go through. And what does it look like for us to be the kind of people who say, God, I need you in your kingdom mm-hmm. to be the resolution for my, my trials, my adversities, my conflicts. Yeah. yeah. I, and I, I know that what I need above all is you to execute justice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You to evidence your righteousness. Yeah. Which then has to lead us to the cross because if God executed his justice and his yeah. righteousness, we deserve wrath right but right. we are in, we are participants in the mercy of his kingdom yeah but we're still desperate then for him to bring the resolution needed and david's doing that and i think yeah. that's that the old testament narrative is instructive for me and that is here's another crisis how's it going to be resolved who's going to trust in god who's authorized mm-hmm. by god and how is god going to be the one that is the redeemer yeah and here it is again that's a great word that's a great word all right well lord willing we will make it four weeks in a row next week yeah, and we won't five. say Ishbosheth. 
No. Again. No. I feel better today. Maybe my tongue was twisted last week. (laughs) Anyway. We'll see when we get to Mephibosheth. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Hey, people of God, all of you, don't text me without context. I want to know who you are and what you're talking about. But... It is fun if you are listening to these. Con- these well, these- now if somebody says poor Ishbosheth. I think that that would be easier <laughs> than poor Abner. I will know. But listen, it is a joy right now. AJ's had a handful of folks at church. I've had some at church. I've had people outside the church. If you're listening, this is a open dialogue about God's word. Yeah. This is not something that's extra special, and it's not. There's no platform to this. This yeah. is just us knowing that we are blessed to be in a congregation that loves God's word, mm. and we want you to be able to think through it talk through it, grow in it. So do come and find us. Let us know how this lands. And if you see applications we don't touch, or if you see yeah. gospel connections we didn't use, or the theological categories that yeah. could have come to the surface, chat with us. Absolutely. Don't be corrective. We're doing the best we can here. Yeah. I'm just kidding. But it would be awesome. I'd appreciate that because it's been fun to dialogue with folks. Yep. All right. See you next week. Sounds good.